you've got to build up that trust with sales first because in, unless you're working in unison and understanding what each one's trying to do and what role both marketing and sales are playing it's hard to get to that view of what are the key metrics so there's got to be kind of a maybe a stepping stone of metrics towards that getting the right foundational fundamentals in place to enable that to happen we believe that to solve the biggest most complex marketing problems you have to blur the lines between intuition and reason imagination and logic the theoretical and the practical join us as we reimagine problem solving with leading b2b marketers on b2b marketing solved we're your hosts richard and benedict so Rich, we're joined by Darren Atkins today, marketing director at Sabre, and we're going to be tackling that age-old problem of the gap between marketing and sales. Now, we've had this conversation a number of times, and there's a number of different dimensions. So what I'd be interested in is, before we kick things off, let's frame that problem at a really granular level. What specifically do you feel we need to tackle today when we're talking about that sales and marketing divide? So uh, obviously it's a topic very close to my heart, as Indeed. you're very, very, very well aware. But I think that from my experience, when we speak to the senior marketing community in large B2B firms, when we talk about the relationship between sales and marketing, and when you get under the skin of that, a lot of marketers sometimes seem to maybe initiate the idea that it, the relationships are stronger than they actually are. And sales teams obviously are quite derogatory sometimes about the relationships with, with their marketing counterparts. I can't believe that's the <laughs> <laughs> but actually, when you get under the skin of it, it's normally the case that relationships are obviously pretty frayed. Communications are patchy to at best. And then also what I normally see is that fundamental business goals aren't truly understood by marketing and sales alike. And if they are understood, they would be very different for the two teams. So I think that those are the things that we would like to kind of have conversations around and obviously Darren, your background, it, I think it's important that we obviously get into the idea that we need to recognise that B2B businesses will have different needs when it comes to sales and marketing alignment. And uh, fortunately, before your current role at, at Sabre, you held uh, many senior demand gen roles, a number of global brands, including Travelport, Canon and Sony. So Darren, welcome to B2B Marketing Solved. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Welcome, Darren. I'm um, so just going to quickly, just to stand up for, for marketers, you said that salespeople are derogatory about marketers. Uh, marketers are also derogatory about salespeople. Oh, occasionally. No, no doubt. So. <laughs> ne never, never. <laughs> Not with an earshot. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I suppose the question to kick it off then, Darren, is based on your experience in all of those businesses we just mentioned, why is this topic something that's close to your heart? I think it's because it's the probably the biggest challenge to solve to make demand marketing effective. If you can't, for me, the most critical part of that is sales and marketing alignment, however you frame that, however you describe what that means. If you don't have close alignment with sales and understand what sales challenges are, it's almost impossible to deliver great demand marketing. That joining between sales and marketing, for me, is the most important success factor. Okay, yeah. And have you got, you know, practical experiences of trying to, well, coming into businesses where the two have been far from aligned? I think the key point is that I've been, I've worked at a number of large, well-established companies where, where the role of marketing has never really, or at least initially been seen as a driver of revenue or driver of demand. And, and that is kind of, has been a big key part of my 
career and roles of, of how to change that. But I said, I don't think there's any kind of obvious sort of, sort of bullet to tackling it because all the businesses I've worked in, whilst they've been big and large and well-established, are all very different as well. And where marketing can play a role is really different. And I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge, first of all, is to be clear where can marketing most strongly play a role within those companies and, and how can they align with sales and help to start driving demand. And just thinking about what I've done to try and drive that, I, I think the common thing of where I've always started is to understand those sales challenges, maybe as simply as just starting to join sales meetings and, and hear firsthand what are the problems sales are facing, what are they hearing from their customers, what's the problem they're trying to solve. I think that's always been really useful at a starting point, not only because you get great insights, but also because I think it starts to at least start to change that perception of what marketing's role is, the fact that where somebody in marketing is willing to sit in a sales call and try and figure out what's your problem, where can we try and help solve, seems to at least kick off the conversation in, in, in a far stronger way. I think that that, I mean, listening in every walk of life, but especially business is hugely important. I think that even that gesture probably takes us one step of the way anyway. But you talk there about listening, understanding some of those problems, and then looking at how marketing can help solve those sales challenges. Are, are you able to give any sort of like tangible examples of, you know, perhaps when you joined a sales meeting, this was the headache, keeping them up at night. And this was either a marketing solution, or ideally, that sort of co-solution between sales and marketing? Yeah, I think one that, that jumps to mind, it was it's going back some time, but and it was kind of when ABM probably wasn't even coined as a phrase, or maybe just probably not. That's probably not quite. So I think it was becoming a thing, but it was definitely still in its infancy. And I was speaking to one of our account directors. I don't. I think it was in a kind of more casual conversation. It came out. It wasn't even any formal setting. And he was just talking about one of his biggest challenges was the sheer scale of his account. It is a major multinational corporation. He was trying to deal with. And he was saying there's just no way he could take the breast of all the potential opportunities. I mean, we've got, a, we've got a, a wide range of solutions into that market, and there's no way he could keep track of all the opportunities that might be surfacing. And so just talking to him, that just led me into some discussions I've been having about kind of trial the idea of social listening and what value kind of social listening could play. So we just set that up and started tracking some of the key execs across that account. And just within a matter of weeks, we started to see a trend that there were a number of key execs talking about the same problem they were facing. And it's actually a solution we had that could at least partially solve that. And he'd actually tried to sell in over the previous few months and we're just getting pushed back and pushed back, saying not of interest to us, not of interest to us. But we could see that it was of interest. I think the key point was to point out that social listening was the customer was talking about the problem in a slightly different way than he had been presenting it. And because of his social listening, just gave him that insight of, well, actually, if I talk about this in a slightly different way, maybe I'll, I'll get back on track. And, and that's exactly what happened. He, he went back to that account, reframed his argument, reframed the presentation, and that actually led to a, a major customer win, which obviously, from my perspective, was, was a massive step forward in terms of that alignment because he suddenly went from being maybe not one of the most skeptical, skeptical salespeople I was dealing with, but but not necessarily fully bought in. And from that point, it was like, this is amazing. Can I do more of this? Can you do that for some other accounts? What else can you do to help me start driving some interest among the accounts I'm dealing with? So I think that as an example, just from, from a kind of a casual conversation and understanding what was his problems about how marketing could then carve out a role for itself. Mm. 
it's a great demonstration of value. And I think that obviously marketing has a number of different responsibilities, but really being that sort of representative of the customer and the, the, the audience, if you like, is an important role within that. Um, I'm going to take the risk here of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm just really, really interested. You talked about using social listening there and social listening within a almost a B2B context, which is very difficult. What did that look like just out of interest in you know real terms? How did you go about setting up that social listening of those particular sort of execs? Was it quite a manual task or did you use different technologies? It was a manual task, but, but not for me. Um, yeah. so we, fortunately, I'd just been talking to to an agency we've been working with some time when I pretty well established in terms of ABM, and it was something they were pushing and saying they'd seen success with other accounts taking this approach. And so I kind of just obviously quite simply put two and two together, saying this looks like a great use case to see whether it could work here. And so I just asked them to stop doing it as a trial for this one account as an opportunity for us to then roll out, out more widely. And obviously that's that's then where they've got some systems setting up quite manual in terms of just looking across social accounts, finding all the key execs, looking into who they were, finding where they were active on social media or what events they were talking at mm. or whatever, and trying to surface some insights from that. We also combined that with just looking at simple web tracking of, of what visits we were getting to our website from that account. I say it was a large account, so we've seen quite a lot of traffic and just seeing where there were any spikes in behaviour that would kind of correlate with what the social listening was telling us. And that's kind of what, what drove that conversation. Oh, fantastic. And that, I think, as we were just saying, it's a good example of cold, hard sort of data or information which they can they can use and intuitively respect that and i think that's the key thing of building the respect within marketing but do you think like sort of more broadly there are any misconceptions of what marketing is about which is a barrier to that really successful collaboration around demand generation for sure yeah <laughs> i think that's one of the and i do frame it as being kind of marketing's challenge to i think i hesitate to use the word educate because it makes it sound like sales are stupid, which I would never go there. But obviously, the whole idea of what's what marketing can can now do, enabled by the advances in tech and and everything else, is is not widely known to sales necessarily. And why would it be? So I think that is part of marketing's challenge to, I say, educate sales on on what's possible. But again, saying that they're never going to believe you until you have some proof. So I could have talked to that account director about the opportunities of what social listening could bring, but until there were any cold, hard facts that he could take and believe in, it probably wouldn't have got off the ground. So I think that that's part of the education is, is what, what proof and evidence can you show to, to help that conversation. But it's obviously chicken and egg, right? Because uh, how are you able to showcase the value if they're not open to seeing the value at the, the start? So do you have any practical yeah. advice you can give the marketing community listening to this about how you can break down those initial barriers? I think it's going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, I think about starting with just listening in to sales and, and, and what problems are they facing and then trying to figure out, well, what could we do as marketing? Where could we get some quick wins as well? I think you'd say that chicken and egg idea could come away with a load of potential theories and, and programs you could put in place. But to really bring sales on board, you've got to start showing some success relatively quickly to get their buy-in and support to do the bigger programs that you need to do to show real fundamental change and how demand can be created by marketing with sales together. But I think it, it is a challenge. I think for what you say that, one of the 
something else that really helped actually, but it is going back to more of a theory side of things, is we use um, we used to use a ten in marketing attend for a number of a couple of years attending serious decisions conferences obviously serious now being bought out by Forrester. and I attended one or two of those and, and, and obviously that was great from my thinking helping my thinking of what what is demand marketing about we can get demand waterfalls going back a number of years but at that time it, it was really helpful to have that kind of model to think about and talk to sales about but it was really useful getting a few sales leaders convinced enough to come along to that conference as well so they could hear firsthand about what they could see as, as experts talking about what's possible and seeing some of the use cases from other companies that were standing on stage and saying, we've adopted this approach and it's really worked. And having sales in the room listening to that directly was, was a, a, a big driver of being able to change what we were doing in marketing at that company. And obviously, when you're when you're working through this with sales and you're uh, getting under their skin and you're basically bringing data alive uh, and giving them real time information, the mar- marketing's responsibility is obviously to be handling quite a lot of data, whether that be through the campaigns that you're running, but now also through the information that you're sharing with the sales team. How, in your experience, have you been handling that internally and getting the most results from the data that the marketing function is coming across? I think, yeah, there's a few thoughts that, that spring to mind when we, we talk about data. For me, one is, is, is you say, that the, the, the massive data that's available, but how do you make sense of it? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for, for anybody, and particularly in, in marketing. I'm just thinking back to one of the previous companies I worked at where it was the only company I've been in where there was a, a business intelligence role actually sat in marketing. All the other companies typically have business intelligence roles, but getting their support or their time to actually still dive more deeply into all of the marketing metrics and making sense of that was was really, really difficult. And having this one person sat actively within marketing who was there as a resource all the time to kind of crunch numbers, crunch data, look at it from different perspectives made made a major difference in terms of our ability to then draw out insights, which I think is the I guess the key thing from data is it's not the data, it's, it's the, the actionable insights that you can draw from that. And I think I can't, I can't think of a concrete example, nothing's really thing into mind, but it was just certainly the idea of being able to go, go and have a conversation with someone saying, I'm trying to, I think this might be something that might be useful. I think maybe we could see this happening. Can you look at the data and see what you can find for us? Having that resource just available day to day was really, really helpful. So do you think that it is, it's really data and customer market insight, which is the key to unlocking this relationship? Or do you feel that there are other sort of areas where there could be positive collaboration between marketing and sales? Or that is the sort of intersection, if you like? I think it's a big part of it. I don't think it's, it's the only part. But I think as a kicking back to that, if the onus is on marketing to prove value, one of the ways of proving that value is with numbers and metrics. But for me, my experience is, it's having numbers and metrics that opens up the conversations. So it's not only about numbers and metrics, but without numbers and metrics, you don't get very far, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. As well, I've just been listening to you, and I think it's been interesting. We've been talking about what marketing can do to improve the relationship and show their value. Let's just turn that on its head quickly. What can sales do to improve the relationship and actually enable marketing to get more value from sales? Because it is absolutely, it, it's a collaborative process. It's a two-way street. That's a great question. I've never actually, in honesty, thought of it from that perspective. As I've always kind of thought, it's my job. It's my, <laughs> it's my responsibility. 
I'm the one who needs to make this happen because sales aren't coming. Sales aren't coming to me saying, "Help me do yeah. better marketing." So it's a really interesting question. I think if anything would help, would, would certainly be, and going right back to the start, certainly being open to having marketing in in more conversations. Even why I said it, just joining a sales meeting is a great starting point. It's not always easy to get permission to join sales meetings, and it's not always easy until you've established what is it until, until you've built some trust it's not easy to start having conversations in those meetings and, and trying to make put your point of view across because you're still seen as well, why are marketing even here by, by some people so i think sales being open to marketing joining those conversations being open to what marketing are proposing and being open to running trials and tests and, and kind of accepting that the we don't have all the answers for sure. We've got some ideas of what might work and what might not. But without testing those approaches, you're never going to really know what is working. So I think just having that, opening up that that trust and that willingness to let marketing try things. And I guess even going as far as letting marketing fail, it would be helpful rather than uh, that you came in, you said you're going to do this, it didn't work, that's it, the door's closed. I think that maybe even be restrictive to marketing that we're scared to try some things because it's a bit different. It's not convinced it's going to work. And we're so worried about breaking down any trust we've started to establish that we wouldn't do the kind of programs we think could have real potential. So I think it's just having that willingness to accept we may fail as well. Yeah, I think that's great in terms of the the openness around, as you say, willing to fail, but also the openness in terms of sharing insights. Like salespeople are having those frontline conversations and actually getting that information back into marketing to digest, make sense of that and come up with approaches, I, I think it's uh, really important. I, I mean, Rich, as a reformed salesman, uh, <laughs> what would <laughs> what would you say sales could do more of uh, to really get value out of marketing? Yeah, I, I, look, I think this is a really interesting topic. And I agree everything you've said, Darren, in terms of, you know, being more open. The fundamental issue, though, I suppose, is successful salespeople have a, a, an archetypal way about them. They are typically very driven. They are laser focused. They are sometime, most of the time, certainly early on in their career, lone workers to basically achieve their individual goals. And my experience of, of people as they, they go up the, the sales rungs and, and up the ladder is, and this is all about change, right? The market changes now more quickly than ever before. And typically, there's only a, a very small proportion of salespeople that are able to adopt to that change ahead of the curve. A lot of them normally are set in their ways of working that work, which is obviously from a marketing standpoint, we know that because um, getting them to use new technology, getting them to, to use data in a, a different way is, is quite difficult because typically if they've hit their last year's quota or their last month's quota or their last quarter, they're going to do the same again. And it's only when that stops happening, will they be then open in normal circumstances for other people to, to input into how to help them get back on track? So my experience is the marketing community need to recognize that they're going to do ways, they're going to do things a certain way until a certain point in which it's not working. And I think that it's, it's that point in which it's not too late because, you know, the salespeople are going, what the hell's going on? What I used to do isn't working. Marketing, help me meet my numbers to hit my commission targets. It's marketing going, 
this is the market trend. Uh, this might help you, like we spoke about with the ABM example. It's a really good example because, you know, with that information, it helped turn the corner with a deal before it was too late. And even in my personal experience, I kind of saw the value in marketing when I was going through a very, very rough period in my sales career. So when we're talking to salespeople, if they are listening to this podcast, I would stress to them, it isn't always going to work the way it does. You're not always going to hit your sales quotas and marketing will play a, a massive value in helping you think differently at some point in your sales career and be open to that throughout this process and it might then kind of stop those those barren patches i think that's really interesting i think my, my reflection on just listening to you there is that it actually comes down to strong leadership it needs a strong marketing director cmo to be able to talk in quite robust terms to a commercial director or chief commercial officer whoever it might be within the organization really sort of make the case for the value of marketing and then sort of convince those commercial leaders to show that leadership and rather than just rely on a crisis being the catalyst of a new way of working but actually for those commercial leaders to say i know you're hitting your target but we could actually do 15 percent more of that or whatever you know arbitrary number you might want to sort of select we need to try something different. And that's where I think it comes back to that sort of openness that you were referring to, Darren. What's that relationship look like at that senior level? You know, what does a sort of marketing director to commercial director conversation relationship look like? Again, another great question. I, again, and, and I think it, it, it differs so widely uh, in different companies as well. I've been in some companies where, I think as you pointed out, it, it comes a lot from leadership. So one of the companies was that was... I think a bit like you, Rich, is somebody who was came up through the sales ranks, um, was a really strong, effective sales leader, who then became CEO effectively, but but had an understanding of what, what marketing could do as well. And from his leadership, the, the conversations were, were really strong between marketing and sales. And I think it was driven down from that, that no sales and marketing should be having really robust, active conversations. Conversely, in other companies, there's been no leadership like that from the top. And, and again, that's where then it becomes more, in my, again, rightly or wrongly, I think the onus becomes on marketing to try and drive that conversation. But that's difficult because you say you haven't got that, that direction from the top that this is an important conversation to be having. And it's on a marketing to prove the value rather than being be guided along that from a, from a, a leadership perspective. I, I think this is something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in your thoughts, and this is relevant, but I've had a, a thought in my mind, I've seen a few posts on LinkedIn, I think about it recently, about whether one of the barriers to really effective kind of revenue functions is kind of slapping the idea of sales and marketing as being two different functions entirely and calling them sales and marketing. I saw an article that was in the Harvard Business Review talking about a company that was smart technology who've taken this approach and, and you come up with this idea of I think we call it a unified commercial engine, or, 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 but that idea of, of breaking down the boundaries and then rebuilding up the structure and not calling it sales and marketing, but having a team that was responsible for driving revenue. And some people within that team would have a responsibility for face-to-face -face conversations and other people in the team, kind of the marketing functions would be more in the back room, but everyone was working to the same goals, for the same targets, for the same objectives. Do, do, does that make sense to you? Do you think that's the 
a direction. And not only does it make sense, he actually, I'm not sure he's going to share this, but <laughs> he's got a portmanteau um, for sales and marketing, which oh, I'll let him dear. decide whether he wants to say. Uh, well, <laughs> two actually now, actually. Oh, really? uh, no, look, I, I think it's a, a very valuable point. And, and I think it's important to stress here that when before we launch into this chat that we're about to have, we're not telling every marketer in the world that smashing together the sales and marketing function is the way to go. But actually, you know, one of the drivers for me writing the book was... I think that if you're not going to bring the marketing and sales uh, teams under one roof and maybe rename them, I think that that shouldn't stop them thinking the same way. So that's where in the book I coined the term be a revenueist. So that's, you know, the marketing community need to think like a revenueist. So think about revenue first rather than leads or, or, or views or, or click-throughs or engagement. And then the sales team also need to think revenue aside with an understanding of how revenue kind of comes to being revenue for the business and what the role in which marketing plays. So I think that it's a really interesting thing seeing some businesses that are bringing in the the CRO role and then sales and marketing report to that CRO. The problem with the chief revenue officer role in marketers eyes is 95% of the time that comes from the, the sales side of the business. And actually, another thing that we touched on in the book was there's kind of three types of organization you have. And this goes back to the leadership from the top. So if, we, if we're considering, you know, you've got the CEO and then you've got the CRO in an organization, if they aren't speaking the right language of understanding the role in which marketing plays to make revenue, there's basically three types of business. You've got the business that is speaking the right language and everyone understands the role marketing plays, the role sales plays, and ultimately everyone is is striving for one goal, which is to make this company as successful as possible, whether that's through revenue or turnover or or profit or uh, other KPIs the business has. That is brilliant. But we all know that there aren't many companies that exist in that world because of the way in which things have evolved and also the pedestal that that sales and revenue drivers have been put on over the last number of years. By the way, I think that is changing now, but it's still a a prevalent factor. And then you've got the B type of organisation where the business isn't set up like that. The CEO or the CRO are from more sales-led backgrounds and they don't quite understand the value of marketing. However, they do. They are open to trying to bridge gaps and trying to bring the business forward to the modern age. And I think that in those types of organisations, the marketing community need to be able to speak with the CRO and the CEO and the board in their terms, in their terminology. And, and that's when, you know, thinking like a revenueist, talking about the key KPIs to that business that they care about at board level is vitally important for the marketing community. Because sometimes you might have loads of presentations and loads of metrics that for you as a senior marketer are really important for you doing your job to show progress, but they might not be really important to the board. So it's how you translate your strategic PowerPoints to talk to the people that matter about the things that matter to them. That's not saying that engagement, views, leads aren't important. They absolutely are. And they form a part of of driving sales and ultimately revenue. But sometimes we get bogged down in the granularity as a marketing function of, of, of the things that we are 
uh, kind of in charge of. And if you have that type of open relationship or you know that you can hopefully force change, that's also a nice place to be in as long as you are speaking to the business in the right manner. Now, the third type of organisation, and I've kind of summarised this in my version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is basically a shit organisation you want to get out of it. Ultimately, it's the organisation where you've got the people at the top of it where they aren't interested in anything apart from revenue drivers. They think marketing isn't a strategic function helping moving their business forward. And ultimately, you aren't going to get anywhere in 6, 12, 18 months. If you've got those type of leaders in your business as a marketer, you should be looking to exit the business and go somewhere else that values the business. Because ultimately, you're going to be in a position where you're going to feel demotivated. And that's the archetypal marketing function that everyone gets upset about. So I don't know if that helps, but that's my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes a, a great deal of sense. I, 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 I think certainly in, as you tell, I always think about kind of metrics in and like a hierarchy of metrics in, in the, there's the ones at the top, which is the ones which people outside of marketing will care about. So your point, ideally as close to revenue as you can possibly get. Then there's the ones in the middle, which are kind of what marketing typically care about. And then there's the ones below that, which are certain specific functions within marketing might care about. Whether you're looking at click-through rates, cost per click, or anything like that, but it, it kind of ramps up. And I think certainly from experience, it, the biggest difficulty is still that top one. It is it's certainly the same in the kind of organisations I've worked in, which is well-established organisations with very long sales cycles that are complex and difficult to break down and understand what impact is marketing having and what influence has marketing had on closing those deals and trying to identify that and correlate that to actual revenue is the biggest challenge. The other metrics are easy. You can you can get those from multiple sources, but turning them into the revenues that anybody else outside of marketing cares about is the biggest, biggest challenge. Yeah. And have you got any practical advice, again, for the, the, the people listening to this about how to get over that challenge or, or help remedy it within the organisation? I wish I had, a, again, silver bullet because it is it's certainly, the, I would, being honest, it is the biggest challenge I think I've, I've often had is delivering those revenue-based metrics because of the circumstances and the organisations I'm, I'm working in. Not to say it's just We've never been able to get to a point where we can start to demonstrate marketing's impact, but it's been the biggest challenge. And sometimes to get to that point, you need, you've got to build up that trust with sales first, because unless you're working in unison and understanding what each one's trying to do and what role both marketing and sales are playing, it's hard to get to that view of what are the key metrics. So there's got to be kind of a, maybe a stepping stone of metrics towards that, getting the right fund, foundational fundamentals in place to enable that to happen. And I think for me, the key to that has always been that conversation with sales again of would this be of value? If we could, if we look to do this and this is how we'd measure it, would you accept that that's a valid metric? Would you be interested in understanding whether we've shifted the needle from X to Y? So I think that's one of the the key areas is, is just getting those stepping stones to have a better alignment with sales to enable those kind of revenue metrics to happen. I think kind of front of mind at the moment is, is something I'm building out a model which is kind of around the idea of an engagement score model which is in essence is built around the idea of lead scoring that anyone can build out of the marketing automation platform right that is built on scoring different interactions of a customer with the things that you're delivering to them 
but it's looking at it from the lens of an account, not, not as a contact. It's not about generating an individual lead. It's about looking at, at what's this account doing. And it's bringing in things like intent data as well. And it's also bringing in things that sales are doing. So scoring sales meetings, scoring content that sales are delivering for those accounts as well. And then building up that view of which accounts are engaged with the content and the communications that we're delivering to them. And then surfacing that within the CRM platform that sales are using day to day, they can then go in and see that these are my accounts that I'm targeting. These are the ones which are highly engaged based on the metrics we've agreed is what engagement means. Then they can drill down into that and say, well, of those accounts that are engaged, which are the contacts that are engaged? Which ones do I recognize? And actually, what is it they're engaging with? Which are the solutions we're selling? Are they showing any interest or engagement with? And that's just building out kind of a model of insight that sales find useful and can then leverage. I think that, and, and that is a, a model used in a previous company, hence while I'm, I'm looking to do it now as well, that, that really led to much better sales conversations and opened up those channels to then figure out, well, how do you correlate that? change shift in engagement how does that correlate with closing deals um, and can you drive can you find that correlation and therefore prove marketing's value i think that that's great and obviously the more granular the better for the people using it on a day-to-day basis i would just go back to the the other point as well which is the further upstream you go communicating yeah this structure you're going to want to make sure that it's abridged and you've got an executive summary so that the people towards the top of the organization don't get bogged down into the granular detail because that's when you start losing them no exactly and the the intention of this is to be able to talk in in kind of terms of from this group of strategic accounts that we all agree we're targeting this is what marketing have helped to do in terms of driving greater engagement within those accounts but that in itself is no use until, until you can then prove that an increase in engagement leads to an increase in revenue. So I say that's why I kind of think of this idea as a stepping stone of opening up different conversations, driving greater alignment between what sales and marketing are doing to ultimately then put the metrics in place to prove revenue. I've, I've got one final question, Darren, and I'm, I'm hoping it is going to be a controversial question. Um, now, you mentioned earlier that uh, you've been to Serious Decisions conferences. And my primary awareness of serious decisions is a piece of research they did a few years ago, which showed that within B2B, typically a buyer is somewhere in the region of three quarters of the way through the purchase yeah. decision before they contact salesman. Now that's actually, as I said, maybe five years old. Salesperson. <laughs> True. Salesperson. Very, very right to call me up on that. <laughs> so three quarters of the way through the purchase decision before they contact a salesperson. Now, that was five years ago. I think that probably that has shifted even further as we sort of move more into sort of an age of independent research. And also, as you were just talking about, all of that sort of marketing automation, which has now come in. So we're actually serving people the content that they need to inform them to make the decisions. So the controversial question I want to ask is, is this really the death knell for the precedent of sales within organizations and actually the dawn of the ascendancy of marketing over sales? No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I I was kind of going there, it would be great. I mean, it would be great that the greater the responsibility or value marketing can add, then I'm obviously going to be all for that. But I I don't see that. And and I do, I guess, as you know, that there's lots of dispute about that 70% figure as well. And yes, 
that might be true in, in some instances. It's not going to be true in other. It will depend on industry, business, salesperson. There's, there's so many variables to that that it, I don't think it's something marketing could ever hang their hat on and say, we're, it's kind of going to the point of we're responsible for 70% of all revenue because we know that 70% of the journey is done with before you even speak to sales. I'm not even going to try and argue that. <laughs> you didn't fall into the trap. <laughs> <laughs> no. But do you feel there's a tipping point, though, potentially? Because I think that I feel it's probably fair to say that if we were to look historically, that in the majority of organisations, um, it's that that sales has had that slight sort of power advantage, if you to look at it in those terms. But not 50 years ago or 40 years ago. Like, if you think about the ad age, you know, when it was all about brand and all about the idea and the creative, I think that actually marketing we're informing more of what well, actually were tipped over the edge than sales I, back I, then. I don't know. I would be interested because in those days, you'd actually would be heavily reliant on very, very large sales forces of individual people going out and therefore almost by weight of numbers and also the attribution of that sort of revenue to those individuals. But ad campaigns were everything. Like uh, it was the difference between success and failure for many, many organisations. Yeah, but in recent times, maybe, yeah. in more recent times. But do you feel that that maybe does represent us a little bit of a tipping point in terms of actually the clout that marketing has? It makes me think a lot of that conversation we're having about, about new models of, of organisation yeah. where sales and marketing are more perfectly aligned. In the, then you, you're not trying to fight for who's more responsible. It's, it's kind of saying that there's a role to play for educating customers and potential customers that can be largely done by marketing and there's a role that sales needs to play it, it's never going to be the same approach in each one some businesses may be more touched more digitally some may have a greater reliance on a face-to-face contact by a salesperson and whether that's 70 percent of the way along the journey or whether some organizations reach out to sales at 20 percent along the journey doesn't really matter as long as you can kind of identify the behavior and respond in, in the right way, whether that's a follow-up sales call, whether it's marketing to do more nurturing until we get to a point where it seems of, of interest. I think that's probably oversimplifying trying to say there's a marketing does this to this point and then sales is that from that point. I think it's actually makes me think somebody posted on, on a comment on one of my posts the other day where it's saying it was talking to that idea of, of changing the, the, the organizational structure and made the point that it's probably seeing today that sales and marketing are kind of in a relay race and marketing does so much and hands over the baton at a certain point to sales when we should be really thinking of it more like a football team where everyone's got their own roles to play but they're all part of the same team with the same goal in in different games you'll different different players in that team will play a different role or have more impact I think that's that's kind of an idea. It kind of resonated with me at least. It does. I've actually heard recently, and I can't remember where, but it's a it's a continuous relay race. So rather than just sort of hand yeah. the bat on, actually, if you can imagine that this is an ever never ending four by one hundred meter relay race, yeah. and it's constant handing of the bat on. I think you both okay. have read the book already. So no. uh, there's a lot, just, lot of those <laughs> analogies in there. Um, the best one, just thinking about that. I, did, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just kind of topical with the, the Winter Olympics on. And there was kind of a the, the speed skating, short track speed skating. And that was a short track speed skating relay. And it was kind of exactly demonstrated what you were just talking about. I think Murdoch got a whole, <laughs> just a constant passing over. Yeah. You need to watch it. You might not get it. I can imagine it not having watched it, but I think that's been great. Rich, I don't know if you've got any sort of final closing thoughts. Yeah, well, just on that note, I think that my feeling of it is 
sales will never die because a good salesperson, a truly good salesperson, will be the difference between someone going with said company versus a competitor. I think that at that end of a deal, certainly the larger end of, of the transaction, they are very, very important. But I would just leave us on this is over the last 10 years, there's been a massive shift into customer experience and customer journey. And also data is now more prevalent than ever before. With sales, it's always been quite individual. Obviously, there is technology that is helping, you you know, make it more formulaic in terms of getting things to a place where people can open up conversations. But I would almost go as far as to say, when we talk about customer experience, and when we talk about data, the people in the business that control that more than anyone else is marketing. And therefore, I do think uh, over the next few years, we are going to see a pendulum shift. And like Darren says, the two are important to work together. And it's really important that, you know, we can figure out how everything works. But I do think that over time, the role that marketing plays within organizations because of the role that data is playing and customer experience is going to be extremely prevalent in the right organizations. Yeah, one final question. Um, who have you learnt the most from in B2B marketing? Oh, that's a, that's he, really hasn't, he, he hasn't read your book yet, so... Do <laughs> <laughs> I have to say you? No, uh, you definitely <laughs> don't, mate. <laughs> Is that, I just think that that's the answer or not. You know, give me a moment. What made you want to become a marketer? Now, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> in actual fact, I, I got into marketing kind of by default, in effect. So uh, uh, my career has, has gone from engineering to procurement to sales. And I joined Sony as a sales manager. And I can't remember why it happened, but at the, after a couple of years in, in sales, maybe because I wasn't that good, maybe that was it, I don't know. I was asked if I wanted to move into a marketing role. And I can't really, at the time, I recall what really appealed at that point, but I made the switch and moved into marketing, then started studying marketing, took a, some, a number of, did the Chartered Institute of Marketing courses and everything else, and just got more and more into it. And I think that the thing which really, ignited me in terms of marketing it was a few years later when kind of demand marketing was becoming a thing so so that was when marketing automation was coming becoming the latest tech innovation and the possibilities that opened up in terms of marketing being able to look at driving revenue so we at the time we bought on board Eloqua and Eloqua running a lot of courses and talking about marketing being a revenue engine and all of, and, and it was that I think for me that maybe going back to your idea, Richard, of having a sales background, it was the idea that you could then start to demonstrate marketing's impact on revenue that for me was just kind of the light bulb moment. And it's kind of what's driven the rest of my career down a kind of more of a demand gen path. Great. Good stuff. Wonderful. Well, thanks very much, Darren. That was great. No worries. Great. Thanks, guys. B2B Marketing Solved is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more about us, head to allen-agency.com. And make sure to search for Marketing Souls in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future golden nuggets from the biggest names in B2B marketing. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.